So this afternoon, Lucy and I thought we'd bring you um, a podcast full of local goodness in the shape of Francine from Bumbley's Preserves. Hello there, Francine. Hello, how are you? You good? Brilliant, thank you. And hello there, Lucy. Hello, good to see you. Good to see you too. So we're down the line at the moment. So if there's a slight delay in it, don't worry, it's not your podcast platform. It is just that we're uh, we're recording this on Zoom right now. So Francine, uh, we met each other a few years ago when uh, we were fresh back from Portugal and opening our shop, not too dear, on Dunster's High Street. And we were looking for a a provider of um, beautiful local jams and preserves and chutneys and the like. And that's when we met. So um, tell our listeners why why Bumbleys? Why did you start this amazing business? Um, basically, I've always been pottering around in the garden and um, it's always been one of those things, as any gardener knows, that if you're growing your own fruit and veg, you generally have a lot of gluts of things. So um, my mum has always brought me up with a sense of you never waste anything. So it's always preserved in some one way way or another. Um, And uh, it was one thing that I found solace really in, which was going into the garden because I was suffering from a lot of mental health issues. And I found it a lot easier to actually sort of almost shut off by going into the garden and then thought okay I want to try and do some more preserving like my mum used to do with my with me and um I I started from there really I carried on using the family recipes and a few modern twists I couldn't exactly imagine my grandmother with gin and tonic in her cupboard but um gin and tonic marmalade rather but um yeah that's kind of where it started from really um was more or less a I need to not have waste produce um, and then neighbours and friends and family were just inundated with have a jar of. Um, I then got contacted by people saying where can I buy them um, and it just led from there that was sort of nine that was 2012 and I actually started the business 2013. Yeah. Right so you do you grow the fruit and the vegetables on the allotment in the garden so you're yep. doing a lot of gardening and, and planting seeds and growing things from seed. Yeah, and so then, basically, yeah, if I'm not in the garden, I'm in the kitchen. You're in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Either, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'm either bumbling about in the garden or I'm um, uh, mucking about and playing with my food in the kitchen. So, it, yeah, sounds, um, it sounds a bit Downton Abbey to me. We, I can imagine lots of big serving fans. <laughs> Hardly. And, no? <laughs> no, not at all. Milady, milady. <laughs> It's yeah, no, it's um, it's, it? you know that you, you're actually there. I mean, because you're near Taunton, aren't you, Francie? Yeah, I mean, we're just on the edges of sort of the um, the Quantocks, really, I suppose, up, up on um, in North Fitzwarren. But I moved into a little um, kitchen that we changed, or we changed from an office into a kitchen premises, um, which is in Creech St. Michael, which has got a bit of land by the side of it. Um, and we've this year we've just put in our polytunnel so we can actually grow all the chilies and everything in there. So um, yeah, that's slowly coming together because it was late going in. Um, obviously, with all of you know Brexit, but with um, yeah. COVID and everything else, yeah. it was it was one of those things. So so what um, do you do with the chilies? 
the chilies we, we create um, a separate range from Bumbleys, which is the chilies because mm-hmm. um, our surname is Lee. So, um, yeah, that's my husband's ball. Basically, he he deals with all the chili side of things. He likes all the hot stuff. I like the milder stuff. So that was kind of why um, we created that in the first place, because I made a chili sauce so that he could add it into um, our cooking. So we didn't have two pans of different heat levels for chili, um, for curry and anything else. Um, and then from there, it, it, it led on to the bumblies for obviously the traditional side of things as well. So. Right. So you've got chili oil. You, I can see there's a garlic chili oil and a lemon yeah. chili oil. And yeah, what, because um, there's so many different varieties of chili, aren't there? There's thousands there are, of them. There are thousands and thousands mm. of different varieties and of chili. So yeah. which, which uh, do you have a sort of a favourite chili variety that you grow? Um, my favourite is called apricot. And that's a beautiful habanero chili, mm-hmm. but it has virtually no heat. It's almost um, like a sweet pepper um, right. sort of heat. So there's no heat at all, but it has a beautiful habanero flavor. So that's that's really really good. Um, if you if you want to let somebody experience what chili actually tastes like without the burn, yeah. Um, so yeah, but there are various different types of chili we grow. So we, we we've got sort of um, the, there were no heats, which is obviously the the apricot, the cayennes, the um, jalapenos, um, habaneros or red habaneros, yellow habaneros, orange habaneros, Scotch bonnets. And they're um, really right hot, aren't they, Scotch bonnet? Um, they're one of the milder ones that we grow. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we, we also grow things like um, uh, Carolina Reaper, which is obviously the world's hottest currently. Um, until they've done tests there's another one on the on the way line but we also have the gross the dorset naga um uh butch tea scorpion chili um trinidad maruga um various different ones and they all look very very painful and they taste they they do give a lot of burn so they're yeah. not mine they're my husband he can keep those i yeah, I'll keep yeah. The, the traditional side so yeah and and you've got chili jam and chili marmalade and chili oils and you make biltong too don't you yeah we actually get somebody else to do the biltong for us with our chili so um right, again, got you. it's it's one of those things where um it's i don't want to do something that i don't i know that i'm not I don't have the experience in making. Mm. Um, so if I don't think I can make it up to standard, then I'll get somebody else that I know will actually produce it. It's completely yeah. out of my area. So um, they take the chili and they create the um, the biltong. So, yeah. yeah. And is there much of a demand for biltong? Um, there is. There's, there's um, I think it's one of those things. It's a, it's a beer and biltong kind of thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a pub thing, thing, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, and it's a bloke thing, isn't it? It's kind of one of those snacks. It's a bit you know, more upmarket than peanuts on the side of the bar. So, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, pork scratchings. Yeah, yeah. Although I do like a good pork scratching, so you know. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, when I used to uh, when I used to enjoy several hundred pints a week. Uh, well, well, not quite that much, but certainly when I used to. <laughs> Good Lord. There was nothing like several uh, several pints of ale and several packets of pork scratchings, although mm. I understand in the news of late that maybe pork scratchings are a bit off the menu at the moment. Thanks. Oh, are they? Uh, thanks to oh. some 
salmonella outbreak at one of the Mr. Porky's factories or something. Oh, crikey. Well, um, there are some really good local ones around now, so um, which is nice to see. It's the fact that, obviously, they're working with um, lots of local farmers that actually don't use the pork, pork rind, basically the pork skin, so they're actually utilising that and creating um, pork scratchings, which is great because it means that they're actually producing something locally yeah. Um, and, you know, it's far better for you than it's something that's covered in, you know, loads and loads of preservatives and E-numbers. Yeah. Like. Mm. Yeah, exactly, and that's and that's why we like to focus a, a little a little bit on on f- local foodies, local restaurants, and local food providers, and um, and certainly it's one of the things that when we were setting up the shop that your jams, marmalades, and chutneys, we really liked the fact that you were you were growing it, you were you were doing everything yourself, and is is that still mm. the case, Francine? That you are. Um. I don't don't grow don't get me wrong I don't grow I don't grow things the exotics by any means I would love to be able to grow things like several oranges and lemons and um, things like that although I do get um, some lemons from a local um, customer who actually grows them in his um, greenhouse which is lovely though you can they're so sweet because they're slow grown you can almost eat them just as they are like you would do in sort of you know in Spain so um yeah, I mean, if not, then I generally source locally. So I can, I can basically, if it's not from a local grower, then it will be a local green grocer or somewhere that I can actually say that I'm supporting local again. So we're all, it's all going back into the local economy, basically, mm. um, rather than you know lots of the big sort of conglomerates that are buying in from, well. China and Poland and um, various different places to get frozen fruit and veg that you know it's all well and good it has their purpose for them but my my idea is not a huge bottom line at the moment Mm. Um, I want to do because I enjoy what I do and I want to produce a good product so and your jams are you know they're English fruits aren't they there's blackberry and apple strawberry raspberry um elderflower gooseberry damson black currant slow gin you know it's all that kind of um the local um fruit that we would have been growing in exmoor or all around britain even you know in the victorian era and before and one thing that i'm always asked about um is the whortleberry um and i think it would be good to because you know lots about whortleberries which are um unique to exmoor to talk about them and explain to people what they are, what they look like, what they taste like, and a little bit about their sort of their origin in this area. Well, waterberries are, I mean, they are um, a labour of love to pick, first of all. (laughs) Um, But they are basically a very small wild blueberry. That's what a waterberry is. It's a regional name um, that uh, is given locally. So they're also known by um, uh, bilberry is the kind of superfood name, Um, huckleberry, uh, wineberry, um, yurts, I think it's called as well. In Dartmoor, they call it yurts. Um, Um, various different names but they're all exactly the same genus exactly the same plant um and um yeah you can sort of find them sort of forage for them um on Exmoor and then you, you can find sort of like little low-growing plants that you have to lift up the branches and they almost sort of hang underneath 
Um, so they are a bit sort of like elusive to find, but they are tiny little blueberries that are full of flavour. Um, and uh, they aren't so sweet as a blueberry. So you don't get that um, ma- massive sort of sugar sort of rush when you have loads of blueberries. You can have a good handful of waterberries and you don't feel that sort of sweetness. Um, but they aren't as tart as a uh, a black currant then but they are they're lovely flavors so yeah really good and they're a lovely color aren't they when they're a jam they're just this beautiful yeah really 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 dark sort of maroony purple color aren't they almost black they are yeah they, they were actually picked as well for um uh, for services and for the war um because they actually use them as dye yeah um to actually dye uniforms for the air force and um everybody was sort of like picking sort of you know during during the war um to try and get all of the um the warts in um to actually get all the dye sorted for all the cloths um but yeah they are incredible colors um to actually sort of look in a jam i also use them in my um wild blueberry pink peppercorn and thyme shrub or vinegar um, and that to actually look like it, it, it actually looks um, almost like a, a shot silk. Mm. It's beautiful colour. It's a um, it's almost a uh, between a citrus and a purple, and it, it, it's really, 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 really pretty. Um, so yeah, overall a fantastic berry. And and to produce um, your jams or or any sort of jam, you know, because uh, you watch MasterChef or you watch, you know, one of these cooking programs on TV and and they create a little jam to go with the the duck or whatever they're cooking. And they seem to do it within a few minutes. You know, they seem to be able to just create a jam and spoon it on the plate. But I remember, you know, at home, my mother spending what seemed like hours making the jam and then hours waiting it waiting it for it to solidify and then more and more time before we could actually eat it you know because uh, she used to make loads of black black currant jam so how long does it take to create one of your jams uh, it really it really depends on on what it is for a start obviously the prep work is is time consuming um that takes a, a while to get all the fruit and everything ready so once that's actually ready the fruit's ready and you it, so for example strawberry um isn't probably the best one to recommend you know doing if you want to try and make it yourself because mm-hmm. it's very difficult to set but once you've actually hold your your strawberries and um cut up the larger ones cook them down so you've actually got their soft add the sugar it doesn't take a huge amount of time but what does take the time is the prep side of it first Mm -hmm. making sure that they are cooked before you add the sugar and the skill involved in in getting that right in the set on like I said on strawberry isn't isn't easy to do um but there are other ones that are that probably take about an hour or so to to actually make up Mm -hmm. but then once you've actually made it you've got to obviously leave it to set so because you are taking it to a very high temperature mm-hmm. um, to get it to reach a setting point. So it has to take a while to cool down to actually get it to um, to set before you can actually move things around. Otherwise, you get a sloppy jam. So so if um, I mean, I know it's certainly from my recollection, you're absolutely right. It was the what dad used to call top and tailing the black currants, you know, mm. doing all of that really hot. Yeah. 
painstaking work so we didn't end up with all the bits in the jam or whatever so I, I mean I don't know how much jam say the work of we jam how, how much you make in one go but this presumably is quite a uh, quite a long process you've got to find the waterbirds in the first place prepare them and then make them so what is it is, is it a few weeks from when you pick until when you can deliver some to the the deli for argument's sake or yeah I mean it's I mean generally speaking I will do whenever I've harvested anything I will make up a batch um either that day if I've got enough time or the day after mm-hmm. but I'll also freeze a load as well so I'll prep and freeze so that it I, I although I work with the seasons I, I try to elongate it slightly so that it actually carries me through the year mm-hmm. uh, as much as I possibly can um but yeah it's it's more or less if, if I'd cooked it um this week then generally speaking it will go out um this week or next to any orders so it's, it's always a, a 12 month um shelf life on whatever I do so everybody tend to, tends to get it no more than no less than should I say 10 months um life so yeah how many um jars of jam a year do you estimate you're making oh gosh um I would say it's it's now pretty much into almost yeah almost in over sort of like nine probably ten thousand Right, and and they get sold in uh, farmers shops, and David obviously sells yeah. in his shop. Yeah, farms, um, farm shops, delis, um, gift shops, um, and things like that, really. But I also do sort of local events, local farmers markets, right. and, and things like that. And so, yeah. Francine, have you set all that up yourself? So you grow them, you create the preserves and the vinegars and everything that the chutneys. Then you do the build the relationship with the retailer. You go and man the store. I mean, are you doing all of that yourself? Y- yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I've got my, my husband's there with me. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not superwoman by any means. Um, my husband is absolutely brilliant because I do still get my mental health issues, so I still get wobbles, and he's very supportive with that. So um, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, but he obviously does a lot. He does the cooking for the chili side of things because you need to taste as you go along mm. uh, with anything. Because obviously, beginning of the season for one growth mm. to an, the end of the season is a different flavour with things, um, especially with chilies as well. You get different heat levels, so you need to taste as you're going along to make sure that it's right, it's consistent for a customer. Um, so yeah, I mean, he he helps me out with that side of things. But yeah, other than that, and obviously now I, I source from other local and uk growers um yeah i mean it's it has been kind of me initiating it and then i'm moving it forward really and it's full time i assume and then so it is yeah yeah full time yeah i mean full time for self employed is is kind of 24/7 i yes, think you never we know. Kind of switch off <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you always think in middle of the night I'm, I'm I'm thankful for the phone you know the the notepad app on the phone because I wake yes. up in the middle of the night thinking oh, I've got to get so-and-so done I've forgotten to do that yeah um, yeah because I'm constantly losing lists everywhere so yeah that's yeah. one one place of putting it yeah. I, I know exactly that what, what I do is I send myself emails and I know it's been a bad one <laughs> if I wake up in the morning and I've sent myself 22 emails <laughs> oh well that's not such a good idea okay <laughs> Yeah, just adding adding to the dirge of emails that you get in the morning. My God. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
but yeah, your own ones. right and you know I, I think you know your, your story of of um of, of managing your mental health issues is something that's very close to my heart as well and I think that being self-employed allows you time mm. doesn't it? it allows you time to maybe have a little wobble but then come back stronger particularly when yeah. you supportive husband or or partner or or sort of significant other within the business and I think uh, I think it's a great I think it's a great story and I think uh, you know you say I'm not superwoman my god you know I've met a lot of uh, self-employed ladies in my lifetime and uh, I see how much you and Lucy put into a business and uh, yeah I think there is an element of superhero in there particularly oh bless you a really good product, you know, and 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 you do you you deliver a really really good product. So, so where do you see it going? I mean, you know, you've you've clearly got a real passion for your side of the business, your husband's side of the business, and whatever. So, what's next? I mean, I see new products on the website all the time. Mm, so yeah. can you give us a sneak preview of anything. That's in your- well, at the moment, it's kind of my um my. It's, I know it's we're now in September that's okay but it was feeling a bit difficult in the middle of, sort of August when I'm thinking about Christmas um, I'm starting to make all the Christmas marmalades and things so yeah that's kind of my main focus at the moment but as for future forward I'm I'm really not interested in doing the whole big um, supermarket thing and and big stockist that is not what I'm about um, I don't want that at all um, I've been very lucky in that Every single one of my stockists that I've got has approached me um, mm-hmm. and also been recommended to me um, because, again, that's that confidence or that imposter syndrome of actually approaching somebody and saying, hello, I'm really quite good at what I'm doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, would you like to buy? Um, so I'm very lucky in, in that sense. Um, how I'd like it to go. I've actually done a few courses before, obviously, COVID kicked in. Um, I want to get back to doing a few more of those um, and and really spread. Well, that's probably a that was more of a pun more than anything else, and I didn't mm-hmm. intend that. Fortunately, um, I really want to spread the level of what I do, and I want to be able to show people that they can go out foraging for different bits and pieces, and they can make their own jam, and they can make their own marmalades and dressings and and things like that, and actually get some enjoyment about. Um, made basically mucking about in the kitchen mm. um because that they can actually utilize afterwards preserve the season that they can carry that forward um in the winter months uh, and until it, it, it's ready to harvest again the following year so yeah that's kind of what i want to do i want to sort of um take that forward and just carry on what I'm, I'm i'm doing at the moment and um surviving the current climate would be nice <laughs> And you've won um, some great taste awards, haven't you, for some of your products? Yeah, I have. Yeah, one of which was um, the uh, very coveted three star, which was for um, the wild blueberry, which is for the waterberry, then the um, wild blueberry, pink purple, peppercorn and thyme shrub or the vinegar, the fruit vinegar. Um, So, yeah, that was that was greatly received at um a great taste and so, yeah. did that make a difference to your stockists or your sales I mean has it really helped have you seen an uplift in interest in that particular product um I don't think it necessarily changed a huge amount of um interest in the business or the product it was the fact that it helped uh showcase that particular product to any customers they saw it on the shelf and thought oh they've won an award for that yeah so um 
they obviously then knew that it was good enough for them to invest their money in basically because that's kind of what you're doing you're asking somebody to put faith in what you're producing um so to have that accolade on there then it, it actually probably makes it a little bit easier for customers to select mm. yeah i think you can't really underestimate awards and good reviews for small businesses yeah. Yeah. and also not just that but the impact that they have on you as a business owner because when you know, like you're talking about how totally all-encompassing your business is. It's, it's sort of, um, you begin to become your business, don't you? Your personality yes. and, and it, it, it reflects you and you reflect it and it becomes this sort of circle of, of, of business and your life and everything. And so when you get great feedback, when you get appreciation, someone comes up to a store when you're selling it and they say, oh, this is our favourite marmalade or you know, I know that feeling from the cottages when somebody recently wrote in the guest book at the old sweet shop, this is our favourite holiday cottage in England. And then they put in brackets in the whole world. And we oh, all just went, oh, my God, you know, that yeah. is just. Um, and, and so I can see it's not just having awards, is it? It's having regular people re repeat ordering from shops like David's and the hotels in the area. Um, and I love your tagline, uh, made by me, not a factory, which is just lovely, isn't it? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I really like that. <laughs> and yeah. what is your, I'm curious, what's the best selling product? Is it a jam? But, um, that really depends on the season. Right. Um, uh, the best product, um, the best seller, I suppose. Oh, next one is probably Waterbury, Waterbury Jam. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, elsewhere, I think it's probably uh, probably a marmalade. It's probably um, blood orange marmalade. Ooh. Right. Um, yeah. That, that's um, one of my favourites, <laughs> by the way. Sorry. <laughs> David's off. He's off. We're talking about food again. Stay with us, David. Stay with us. Yeah. We're okay. Yeah. Focus. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's just kind of one of those well both products both of those products are ones that you can't find in supermarkets mm. so they're unusual they are ones yes. that you don't generally see being yeah. made by the large conglomerates no matter mm. how small they say they are they aren't actually making those products so no. um unless they're buying you know buying in from somewhere you know um uh, and then getting it sort of made up for them but um yeah I mean I'm I'm perfectly happy to make in my small sort of eight to ten jar batch and make lots of them in, in one day and um, I mean just so that our listeners who may be not looking looking at your website or not be familiar with um your product range so I'm just looking at the marmalades on the website and there's 18 listed I know and there's <laughs> There's Christmas marmalade and blood orange marmalade, which sound delicious. But there's also espresso marmalade, limoncello marmalade, mojito marmalade, gin and tonic marmalade, which is my favourite. Um, orange and ginger, orange and passion fruit, pink gin. I mean, you know, there are some really lovely flavours here and they're interesting. And not only that, they look beautiful. And for me, I often buy them as gifts because they come in lovely... Um, hexagonal jars they're beautifully packaged they look handmade and you know by artisans and I think that's so important now um, and I know they're local and I just think they make great gifts and if our guests are here in the autumn 
and they're looking for Christmas presents, then, you know, these are brilliant gifts for people. Who's not going to want Seville marmalade or, you know, gin and tonic <laughs> marmalade in their Christmas stocking? Mm. Lovely. Any excuse first thing in the morning for a bit of booze, that's what it is. God, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, I interviewed the polar bears recently, the people that go swimming in the Bristol yeah. Channel, and um, I discovered that actually there's rather a lot of sneaky alcohol consumption goes on. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, so maybe they should be having some toast and marmalade as well. Yeah, Perhaps that's what Paddington Bear, why he got lost. Well, possibly. I, I think yeah. so. Yeah, that could well be it. I mean, <laughs> the amount of people when when I used to spend a lot more time in the shop, the amount of people that people would come in and say, "Don't you have to be licensed to sell this?" and "How really? much holes in here?" and um, you know, "Will this make my wife tipsy because you know she only has a sherry at Christmas?" sort of thing. You know, people are people are so engaged when they see the gin and tonic marmalade on on the shelf. You know, anything which has got booze on it. People are immediately yeah. attracted to it. And well, it seems special, doesn't it? it? Does yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, it was something that I—I cr- I mean, I created that back in 2012, and it was all because the lads all had the um, whiskey marmalade, and mm. it, there was nothing for us girls. It was kind of you know, it was always you know their side of things. It's like right, okay, well, what can I do for us? So it was like okay, gin and tonic. Let's have a bit of a play with that. And, First few attempts were disastrous because the quinining in the tonic water would turn every bit of the lemon brown. It looked awful. Um, so, yeah, lots of experimenting. But, yeah, it kind of went live oh, when I first started the business. Lots so. of experimenting with gin. It's unfortunate, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. that must have been horrendous. It's absolute <laughs> hell. It really is. <laughs> and one of the things as well, I am a great maker of chutney. I'm not good with jam. My friend Gabrielle's an amazing at jam and marmalade but I she's in Australia so I don't get many samples but I do make um dunster plum chutney when we have a good crop of dunster plums on the trees at the oval and looking at your preserve section um there's some lovely preserves here as well you've got a Christmas chutney Bengali spice tomato chutney um green tomatoes that's another one Um, I love making green tomato chutney yeah. You always get about four million times as many green tomatoes as red ones, oh, yeah, don't you? Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Pick a lily. Um yeah. and uh I'm wondering, oh, oh, and also I see runner bean chutney, which is a great way to use up runner beans. Are these all again from the Exmoor area, these um veg that go into these preserves? Yeah, I mean they're they're all kind of I mean the green tomatoes are all my green tomatoes um runner beans it's out of stock at the moment because i've not had a very good runner bean season this year unfortunately it's mostly mine um yeah tomatoes and um the veg and things like that as much as i possibly can is is is, you know something that's all all local so yeah and where you have to bring stuff in i mean i I guess um sugar and 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 other raw materials um you know everyone at the moment is talking about supply chain um yes the breakdown of supply chain is that something that's affecting even uh, your small business as well Francis? yeah very much so i mean obviously at the moment with fruit prices although if i source local fruit um even from sort of local growers the prices have rocketed because um 
larger companies are finding it extremely difficult to source anything that would come in from Europe, um, uh, obviously through Brexit side of things. And um, they're now finally getting on the line where we all used to do exactly that, that thing, which was sourced from the UK. So the um, increase has gone up in, in price for that because the demand's gone up and also the ability for them to actually produce it because they haven't got the pickers. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a very difficult situation with that side of things. Um, and I'm very lucky in that my glass supplier is a UK glass manufacturer. I only use UK glass. Um, so or other than when they furloughed their staff, which is a bit of a tense moment because I couldn't get any glassware. Um, they're they're really easy to deal with and they just sort of send things through. So I haven't got that sort of restriction um from brexit obviously we did with covid but now we're back touch wood back to some sort of normality um but yeah the demands for anything coming in from abroad sugar wise and things like that is um is becoming more expensive and more time consuming to actually get hold of Mm. but do you think um maybe there's an opportunity here where say for your type of products Somebody like, uh, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, a Fortnum and Mason style retailer or, um, you know, a high end retailer is going to be looking for some of these local smaller producers to help them fill their shelves this Christmas. Um, Yeah, I think you've obviously got to think as well the fact that um, larger companies have still got stocks. I mean, I've still got stocks in the freezer that carry me through to this year for my harvest for obviously the plums Mm -hmm. and things like that so um they've obviously got the same they're going to have huge freezers full of um their fruits if they haven't already preserved it i mean their um lifespan on a on a preserve will probably be three years or mine's only a year um so they'll have other things in there to extend the the shelf life so they're pretty much safe at the moment for this year I think it will affect them more next year um, towards like this time next year when their actual stock levels in their warehouses are are getting low. Um, and then obviously it's going to have a knock on effect of all the retailers that they're actually supplying. So maybe then it will start coming back to the small producers. So, yeah. yeah. I just wonder if, you know, out of all of these situations of adversity, there are opportunities. And when you're a small business, there are disadvantages to that. You know, you carry a lot of risk often personally. I know myself, I was underwriting all the holiday um, holidays that were booked during the COVID period because I had to be able to tell people they'd have their money back. And I had to do that personally because the money wasn't yeah. there, you know, to any, yeah. any, any other place. But I think... Um, as well as the adversity and the risk there, because we're small, we can move quicker. We're not turning a tank around. You can make a decision in the morning like David and I did on the 24th of March last year, where we just said, right, we're going to do a a guaranteed bookings um, protocol. You know, that's what we're going to offer that. And and this is the sort of thing you could do where if someone rang you and said, can you produce, you know, I don't know, two crates of pick a lily, or quince jelly or green tomato chutney you could probably do it couldn't you yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where like you said you you with with a small business you are you do have a quick sort of like turn on the penny because you you have to diversify 
mm. in one way or another to actually be able to survive. And it has been a really tough business to be in anything that you're producing or um, you're rather than a service provider that you can do online and continue to do. Um, like yourself with, with hospitality and things, it'd be extremely difficult for 18 months. So you try and as much as you possibly can to to actually well cater for everybody's needs um the only issue with that is uh, you're seeing a lot of farm shops there are local reps that go around for um large like a, a large group then mm-hmm. um they'll actually go around and you will see that there they aren't actual local produce because it's cheaper for them to buy from this one particular um supplier because it means that they can actually have one invoice a month with all the different stockists and get larger discounts because they're buying it in larger quantities. Yeah. So lots of farm shops and lots of um, delis and places like that find it difficult because they're still trying to survive mm. to actually make the margin on anything that a small producer um, creates um, worth their while because obviously yeah. they can buy in something that's cheaper that's mass produced and get the same margin um or sell for the same price but get a larger margin on it so it, it's very it's very difficult to not out, you know price yourself out of the market but also to cover your, your increasing costs so mm. yeah i think i think for all of us it's it's been a challenging environment and i think the next 12 months is going to be equally yeah challenging and uh, sorry to all listeners who can maybe hear some background noise but my cat is uh, as predicted is you know smashing up the office and running off with a microphone um so, so if anybody treats <laughs> Clatter, a bang, and a squeak. Well, that's Sooty enjoying the little wind filter on the microphone, <laughs> which, she's taken, which she's taken a liking to. Yes, so stay there, Sooty. Yeah, the um, uh, yeah, the challenge is going to be there for all of us over the next year. Do we think having got through the challenge of COVID, which you know, as small companies, we've we've managed to do by being. Um, agile by thinking on our feet turning on a penny however we want to describe it then the next challenge is going to be one of supply is that what um what you're thinking Francine for your business particularly I mean obviously not the things you create yourself and grow yourself but some of the other things yeah I think so I think it's Mm. I do think um the Brexit effect is going to take hold next year um with with lots of larger companies and obviously heading down through the supply chain so um hopefully i mean i I said i said to you before the fact that i'm yes i like to make i'd like to make a good living out of it but i'm not in it for the the money side of things and that's probably why i've managed to survive in that i want to do this and um I'm prepared to take hits in different places so I can carry on doing it after this happens um, yeah. and we can carry forward. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in it for sort of like five minutes to make a huge profit and sell it on to somebody else. I'm, it's a long, long-term thing. So, And I think the thing, when you have that attitude, you can run a business with an ethos or with a philosophy. Mm-hmm. And if that philosophy is everything 
90% of what I sell is local. It comes from Exmoor or from within Exmoor region, Exmoor producers, and then it's UK or it's yeah. organic or however you think about it. If you have an ethos like that, you can stick to that and you take the hit occasionally, don't you? Yes. I mean, I think, I think, and again, I think next year is going to be more about provenance. It's actually going to be more um, about where your local shops, delis, farm shops are actually sourcing things from. Yes. Um, and what people are investing their, their hard-earned cash in mm-hmm. because it's been a very tough year for everybody and they yeah. want to know what they're buying is actually worth their, their, their money. Yes. And I think it is, you know, in, in the character cottages business, um, everything that we buy, every pe- the people that we employ – we try as much as possible to get everything from within Exmoor to support the local economy, yeah. um, which is a deprived economy compared to other parts of the country. No question. It, it, it is. It's getting better. Um, and where you can't, it's because there is no alternative supplier. Um, yeah. And that's that's my ethos is, you know, have a fabulous experience for the guest. And as far as possible, things come from Exmoor, from Somerset, from the southwest and then uh you know then they come from the uk and and that's yeah. not um for any reason other than i want to try and keep the 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 money going around this local economy um and i think that's really important obviously because the economy side has been for exmoor has been you know really badly hit in the last mm. 18 months because obviously of covid yeah. and the restrictions and everything so it's it's very reliant upon tourism it side is. of things and so there was a stat, wasn't there, David, during COVID about how many businesses in Exmoor turned over less than £12,000 a year. Do you remember? Well, it's a vast majority. It's it was huge. Over 75%, I think it was. Yeah. Because the, the, you could almost count on one hand uh, yeah. the amount of medium and larger enterprises here. You know, I could almost, uh, it's not for now, but I can almost name them off the top of my head. Yeah. Enterprises uh, that are, you know, in excess of half a million pounds. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, almost any other region of the country, they would, you know, what we're actually talking about here is micro-sized businesses, you know, yeah. owner-managed businesses. And, you know, I think it's a really, really good news story. You know, Bumbleys is a really good news story because it is your own and you, you're sticking to... You're sticking to your ethos of quality. You're sticking to the ethos of local. And, you know, I really do hope that from this podcast, even if it's just one extra pot of jam or chutney or or whatever that you sell, I think it will be absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And and I'd like to just circle back a little bit on on those courses, because that that's what I, I remember. You Just before COVID, you were going to do those sort of open kitchen events. Yeah, yeah I did. I, I did. I think... Four, four or five um, marmalade courses. It was the, the January, mm. and then obviously COVID was in March. This, that sort of started kicking in, and that was when my next lot were coming in, and we had to sort of cancel them. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to be returning to do those. I want to try and get something in fairly soon if I can to do things for um, that people can make for giving out for Christmas gifts and things. Mm. So it, it's that side of things that that. Well, um, you know. you know, we do um, we do workshops at our cottages. It's called uh, Makes, Bakes, Creates, and we do half days. Oh, right, so people yeah. People can make a Christmas wreath. They can make candles. 
Um, they can learn how to make sugar paste decorations for cakes. Um, they can learn how to make bread, how to cure salmon. Uh, wow. They can go on a photography course. So maybe, Francine, you could do jam and uh, preserve making. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Or just uh, gin and tonic drinking. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea too. <laughs> Although I'm sure there'll be more experts there than I am. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> In, within this group, there might be. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, those sort of um, uh, those explanation, those those uh, events and activities, I think could be really, really good. And I think, you know, for someone with your knowledge from the ground to the jar as it were mm. I think really could be quite engaging and um, I think not only will people listen to this podcast but they will want to find out more they really really will it isn't just about a jar of a jar of jam on the shelf there's a story behind no. it and... no and that's that's kind of it I don't I don't see that jar is you get lots of other businesses that are so-called micro businesses or small businesses that are in preserve and they call them units Mm. it's not a unit to me it's blood sweat and tears that's my baby yes. that's my jar yeah. so um and and that's what they are they are um if I don't think it's good enough it doesn't go out if I don't think that's right it's not going to happen it's it's part of me that somebody buys in every single one of those jars um rather than it being a cash cow it's not something that I'm, I'm I want this to be a each unit is going to give me, you know, three pounds or something. Although if it gives me 50p, I'm very grateful. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to keep doing it because I love what I do. Now, talking of um, not wanting to make any money, though, if people do want to try your lovely wares, and I would recommend they do, especially if they're looking for presents for people, unusual presents, you do um, sales online, don't you? I do, yeah. I've actually got um, the website is um, they can actually buy a lot on the website. So well, tell us the web address. The web URL. address is um, www.bumbleys. That's b-u-m-b-l-w-e-s.co.uk. Yeah, and they're all there, and they're beautifully photographed with their fun names, lovely tags. They really are beautiful. Some things are out of stock because. As we like on Exmoor, it's seasonal, which means it didn't come out of a freezer or from China. Um, but uh, you can put that. You can always come back and buy things when they're in season, can't you? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And if you want to, um, if you're here or you're thinking of coming to Dunster, then all the products are now available at the deli in Dunster or a selection of products, I should say, are available at the deli in Dunster, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, anywhere and your else? shop? No, no, they're at the deli now, Lucy. Oh, yes. not in your shop anymore. No, no, because we were closed over COVID. Is uh, is right. we we handed the bat on over to Graham and Belinda because they you were, did. Thank they you were, very much. They were yeah. able to sustain Francine's uh, business during lockdown when we were all shut up. So uh, so they're now at the deli. Is there anywhere else local to us in Minehead or um, uh, or the surrounding area? Um, there's one in Dulverton, which is um, Tintivy, and oh. um, there's obviously the big cheese um, in Porlock. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's 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 a few of them around in um, on Exmoor, and um, yeah, again they can order online. But the, the, obviously the 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 um, deli in Dunster is 
absolutely, pardon the pun, jam-packed full of my stuff. <laughs> I think everything that I put out, Graham's always on the phone. I need some of that. So pretty much everything that I've got, he has. <laughs> and can I just say, if you are in the deli in Dunster, don't leave without buying a slice of the Bakewell tart. Oh, no, I must try that then. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> just don't buy all of it because I'm in there at least once a week for my hit of Bakewell, cherry yeah. Bakewell. Your Bakewell tart. And also the Tantamy in Dalverton is, uh, is a great yeah. place to go and have a, yeah. a fab coffee and a, and a Welsh rabbit, I think, was... Uh, yeah. Uh, we, yes, that's oh wow! Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are very good. And again, it's it's the ethos that's behind all of them. The fact that they are, they clearly love what they do, mm. and uh, and I I love supplying people like that because it actually reflects on on um, on my products as well. Because obviously mm. they, they then put forward to people, oh, why don't you try this? And yeah, but it, it the deli is is incredible in Dunster. So yeah, please do go along there. Fab, fab. Well, Francine, and uh, I, I thank you for spending some time away from the kitchen this afternoon in front of a in front of a screen. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Your store is amazing. Your products are great. I'm sure we'll get a lot of interest in the podcast and your products, and also the uh, uh, the creation. You know, the open kitchen events and whatever. And maybe we can talk offline about those because uh, I'm I'm sure that people will want to uh, get to know you a little bit more and get to know your products a little bit more. Thank you. Thank you very much for asking me today. Thank you so much. Lovely yeah. to talk to you. And you too, Lisa. Go and have some toast and marmalade right now. <laughs> you know, I, I was just thinking that, actually, that, uh, yeah, blood orange marmalade, uh, it's almost got my name on it. So I hope oh, yeah. Got some. Yeah, put one of those aside. My friend Alex loves blood orange, so I'm going to get some of that for her. Mm. You'll have to get the Christmas one, but uh, when it goes into grain, which is blood orange, cranberry and bourbon. So mm. Gorgeous. Mm, that does Thank sound you. Thanks once again. <laughs> Thank you ever so much. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and let uh, that cat out, David. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I'm not sure quite where Sutton is now, but, you know, yes, I'll go and let her out. Thanks All again, right. team. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.